Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai or living a life of purpose. Here you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to wherever you are dialing in, listening in from to Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. I'm your host, Jennifer Shinkai, as you may guess from the name. And um, today I am delighted and, and so thrilled to have fellow freedom lover, as we discussed, Alison Mowbray here with us today. So I was lucky enough to be introduced to Alison in 2021 when we met during Tokyo 2020, the fame, famous postponed pandemic Olympic. And when I was talking to Alison, we had a little prep meeting for a recording today. We just went, hang on, the first time I've seen your face. We hadn't seen each other without the mask. So we joined in the Mask Olympics when we were, well, I was a volunteer and you were a kind, a kind of volunteer, right? No, I was definitely a volunteer. Oh, you yeah, were definitely yeah, a volunteer. volunteer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was, one of, I was one of the six international volunteers allowed at the rowing. So that was pretty special. Yes, yeah, exactly. And so why are uh, you might be saying, hang on, international volunteers. I thought that everything was closed. Why was Alison so special? Well, I'm going to read you a little bit of her bio and you'll understand what an amazing human being that she is and why she got one of the very few um, non, non-athlete invitations to the Games. So Alison was on the British rowing team for seven years and competed in five world championships and two Olympic Games. Amazing. And uh, she wasn't actually sporty at school, which is always like, great to hear when you meet a world-class athlete go maybe there's a chance for me I'm not sure there's a chance for me so much at 45 but uh, maybe everyone can say set out from when you were tiny but the first time she stepped in a boat was at Liverpool University when she was 18 actually that was the first time I stepped in a boat not I was also 18 at Oxford University this is where our paths maybe diverge a little bit here no I think they stayed quite similar for a while (laughs) I I, I didn't stay in the boat um, (laughs) at all but, uh, you know, there was a, you had a, an amazing academic career as well with a first class in microbiology from Liverpool and then a PhD in molecular microbiology at Cambridge, moving up to London, uh, a science, becoming a science teacher. And then, though, back to rowing and attempting national selection. And you made the British rowing team at the age of 27. Two years later, last minute, exciting qualification for the Sydney 2000 Olympics, where you finished 10th in the single skulls. And as I was sharing this morning, I saw some single skulls this morning when I was on my run and, and thought of you. But then you sort of led this double life as a science teacher whilst training full-time for Athens. And then in 2004, at 33, and the last race of your career, way to, way to finish, um, yeah. Olympic silver <laughs> medal <laughs> in the final, Olympic silver medal in the final of the squad uh, skulls. And then retiring from the sport, and we're going to talk a little bit about this later, about what came next, uh, what happens uh, to our ikigai when those obvious goals that have been set in space are, are finished, um, what happens next. So we'll talk, we'll talk about that a lot in, um, in our conversation today. And um, I also have a copy of Alison's book here, Autobiography, Gold Medal, Flapjack, Silver Medal, Life. And I wanted to show you something else, which might, oh, so it's very flashy there might make you laugh because I, I bought this book on Amazon, but it's actually has come from Norfolk Library. And no, one, no one's taken it out. Well, no, no, this could be a new paper. <laughs> no, I think no one's taken it out. So they were like, let's get rid of that. Well, they're missing a trick. Uh, I haven't read it, it all. It takes a lot I, of space. I, ne- I never read. I'm really bad. I never read all of my books. There's a word in Japanese called sundoku, which is like having a pile up of books. Yeah. And... Um, yeah and it's like I just gain um such a sense of possibility from having a pile of books but I have read um some parts of it and it's really beautifully written really interesting to read so I do I do recommend it to um anyone who's interested in finding out more about Alison than we can cover in this podcast today so that's a big intro and I think everyone will be going wow amazing 
Um, I want to, first of all, fangirl though and say, please, can you show me your medal? Well, it's quite old now. So yeah, this is, it's funny. I don't even really think I had to go and look it out. So 18, 19 years old now. It's a long time wow. since, I, since I got this. So yeah, so this is the silver medal. They're much smaller than they, every year they get bigger, the Olympic <laughs> medals. So the ones in Japan are absolutely huge. But if you see the ones from, you know, a few Olympics previously to this, they, they, they're quite, they're smaller. Oh. So it is solid silver. There you go. A bit of a tatty ribbon as well. <laughs> Wonderful. So the story I always tell the kids when I go when I go and uh, around schools, they pick it up and it's like, oh, it's so heavy. There, you, you can't really get a sense of it until you feel it. And I say, oh, you know, everyone wants to win the gold medal. Of course, they want to win the gold medal. But the scientists know that that gold's a very soft metal, so the the gold medals are only gold plated, whereas the silver ones are solid silver. Right. So the silver ones are actually worth the most money. So in like a zombie apocalypse, when we go you want, back you want, to, you, it's you, you want to find the silver medalists in your life. <laughs> Never thought of it like that. Never really thought of it like that. <laughs> you've, not, you've not played out the zombie apocalypse in your, <laughs> no. that wasn't in the plan, but but who who knew? So so tell us a little bit, Alison, about, um, yeah, about your experience. First of all, of we, we talked about, you didn't really go out looking for goals or what was going to happen in your life when you were younger and, and you felt it was sort of an automatic process. You tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, I don't think I really thought about it till, till I kind of got that medal and, and had to look for something else. But yeah, goals had always presented themselves. I always, always, always felt quite driven, but I wouldn't have even described it like that, really. It's just just what I did. But um, I've always been, you know, just got really interested in things and maybe a little bit fanatical. So it was music at school and then, um, yeah, went, you know, worked really hard for my exams, enjoyed exams. I mean, exams is the same as racing, really. If, you, if you've got a good exam head, you've probably got a good race head. So I think, um, you know, all the music exams and then academic exams and then went to university and it's like right I'm gonna get first and I got a first and uh I'm gonna get, gonna get a PhD because that's the next thing to do you know <laughs> like yeah. the next thing and I just really enjoyed university so I wanted to stay at university didn't know much you know um a PhD was really really hard I mean I nearly didn't get that um but did get that alongside getting onto the British rowing team um so it's the same similar year I, yeah I had a year where I finished my PhD did my teacher training degree and got onto the British rowing team so that was quite a big year and then uh and then yeah and then I was on the, on the rowing team for seven years um and to start off with it's like can I get to the Sydney Olympics and then I did and then it's like right the next thing is is to get a medal at Athens so four years to get you know four year and um, and that was, yeah, like I say, nearly last race of my career. So four years between each Olympics and we have a world championships every summer. Hmm. So that's like, that's your measure. And I, I wanted to be in the quad. I thought that was my best chance of an Olympic medal, moving from a single to the quad skulls. And um, the three world championships before, between, Athens, between Sydney and Athens, uh, we came fifth, fifth and fourth. So made the final each time and then, yeah, and, the, and you know, fourth by half a length, just missed out on a medal. So it was, uh, of course, you know, that point, 14 years, I've been rowing for 14 years. It'd been my job for six years and I was four, you know, three years into a four-year goal. And I didn't, I hadn't, I hadn't won an international race. I didn't have an international medal to my name. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was all kind of on that last year, really. Um, so when it did came, when it did come good, <laughs> yeah it's pretty, pretty amazing on that last on that last race yeah and, and a 2000 meter race a thousand meters into the race we were fifth so it wasn't like it was you know we had a really really good season um we we did win some some uh races on the, on the season and and we were definitely favorites for a medal potential for a gold medal um but that would that would have definitely been a first but um yeah we we did pull through from fifth to to second to finally get the get the silver medal which at the time was a really big deal for British women's rowing. So it was just on the, on the ascension. So the first ever British women's Olympic rowing medal had been at Sydney, Sydney 2000. 
in the quad skulls, they got a silver. And then a team of just eight of us got to go, eight women got, were at Athens. Um, us in the quad, a double and a pair. And we all got medals. So two silvers and a bronze, but still no gold. So it would be another eight years before any British women got, finally, finally got the first gold at London in 2012. So it's kind of a, a, a yeah, it's like a team, a team, team goal, team journey, as well as my own, I was kind of my, my own personal journey in the middle of all that somehow. That's, I think that's what, what the book is about really as well. Like that, those stories as well mm. as my own. That's, that's why it's so big. That's my excuse for a big, <laughs> big book. It's got the, the team journey <laughs> and your journey. Um, yeah and like a lot of stuff as well like about your family too is is included in yeah quite vulnerable yeah we might we might talk about that because 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 people you know often ask about the pursuit of goals and why we're so driven and I didn't think I don't think I really understood that till afterwards and that's that's probably part of what happened afterwards Mm. um so yeah so just having been so so really driven up to that medal and, and, and all those goals, those big goals overlapping really. Um, and they gave me incredible life, but it was, it was exhausting. And I just, you know, finished and I w- was exhausted. And I, I finished because not, you know, at the time 33 was quite old. Now it's not rowers go on into their forties. I was going to ask that yeah. question. Yeah. I was just on the cusp of it really. It's a transition. I think, it's a transition between being a sport, being amateur and being professional and rowing being an amateur sport and being professional. And, you know, when I started, it was just in the first, literally the first year of, of um, rowing, having any sort of funding and particularly the women having any sort of funding. So before that, your careers were always very short because you just, you were surviving as long as you could afford it, <laughs> you know, and you, and you were always thinking, you know, you were getting into debt and, and you were always just, so I think careers were short because of that. But then we thought there was just this feeling that careers were short because your body wore out. Yeah. So it got me, I think it got mixed up. Yeah. So so at 33, <laughs> I was 10 years older than those people in my crew. And the press called me grandma. And uh, and I was thought to be really old and like and, and I sort of convinced myself I was really lucky. It was just I was just really lucky that I hadn't I've never got Ill, Ill or injured. And that I was and I just convinced myself that you know, from all of this that I was, you know, I must I must be just about to break down and I must be oh you know, this must be the peak over the hill, the hill at 33. Yeah, but then when I did, when I, so so it was, I sort of felt, felt like I was getting out, you know, while I was still fit, and that was good. And mm. but then, yeah, all of the sort of things I did afterwards, I it, I still haven't got in, injured. I'm now 50, 51, nearly fifty two, and and have continued doing a lot of things. And you kind of do realise that, yeah, my body wasn't broken yet, but mentally I was utterly exhausted, utterly mm. exhausted. So there were kind of lots of reasons why I stopped. And part of it was I just, yeah, I thought I, and when I, when I did stop, I was like, oh, I never want a big goal again. <laughs> I just, I just want to live, I want to live a normal, I don't have to live a normal life, whatever. I didn't really know what a normal life was, but I just thought, oh, oh. and I, well, I thought I would find, I thought another goal would find me at some point. I just thought, hoped it wouldn't be too soon. Cause I, I realized that I got, I got pulled towards these big goals and then I had to do them and I had to work really hard and then. And I just thought, oh, something will find me. Like I, I'll get pulled towards something, but I just I hope it's. I hope I get a rest first. I hope I don't find anything too soon. And then, yeah, and then it, I just didn't find anything really for a while. It's very female athletes, particularly when they come out of sport, typically like right, we'll have the kids now, you know. Right. Um, and I did. I think part of the reason I, I stopped was that I was thirty three and. I think all women at that age feel if they haven't got kids feel like some you know feel that growing pressure of like if I'm going to have kids it's got to be mm, fairly soon like and I or, yeah and so that was part of it and I wasn't in a relationship and that that hadn't really worked out while I was rowing so I, I thought that was all connected as well so I just thought I think I thought I was right I'll retire from rowing and I'll have a couple of years traveling around a lot and being quite free and having a great time and then I'll and I'll then I'll get a teaching job, and hopefully, hopefully I'll have found someone, and I'll and I'll 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 have the normal life with the job and the kids, and and I anyway. So I went off and I did some travelling. I went to Australia and I had a great time. And but yeah, the whole the rest of it didn't really happen. 
and I did get I was teaching and I really loved it it was a really great job I was just continuing actually the same school that I was teaching at part-time when I was rowing and they were really great but I had I suppose I had a really good time I felt like I was making the most of life and the freedom in life now for about a year and a half and then I just started to feel not very good I didn't really really work out what was going on and I felt worse and worse and I don't I, struck, I don't want to use the word depression because I wasn't depressed I don't think I was like clinically depressed but I, I mean I, I was in a way I had all the symptoms yeah and I felt very very low and the not sleeping and the waking up early and the not wanting to do anything and crying a lot and and I, yeah, and I just I suppose was like that for a couple of years and just really, really struggled. And, and now again, it's talked about the transition out of sport. It's talked about a lot more. Mm-hmm. But again, we were all, you know, it just wasn't, it was, again, I was on the transition. I was on the cusp of that as well before it became something that was talked about a lot. And it wasn't actually till I was crying on a friend's shoulder, an ex-row who's, who'd retired four years. And she went, you know, we've all, we've all been through this. We've all like... <laughs> She'd, she'd, she'd done it and I actually had known she'd done it because I hadn't known what it was but it. you know I'd supported her through it she'd had a tough time and I thought she was having a tough time in life but it's all part of it so it's all part you know sort of transitioning and finding you know coming out of this very very purposeful life mm. where people talk about like sacrifice and choice and and it wasn't a sacrifice and it wasn't even a choice it was like I was compelled I didn't really have a choice. So it's very easy. It was very, very, very hard work, but it was very easy to know what to do every day when I got up in the morning. Right. Because once <laughs> you were sort of on, on the path, you were, yeah. I think we talked about this, didn't we? Like being in the train tracks. Yeah. So once I decided that was what I was doing, there was no way I was getting off. Yeah. And um, well, this wasn't with you. Who did I talk about this with? No, I talked about oh, this with train tracks. Totally... I think we used that. No, that was it was someone yeah, totally it's different I've had a conversation <laughs> yeah. with. Totally different conversation, but I think it's for the, um, whoever this person yeah. was, I had this conversation with said, I got on the train tracks and then like building up behind me was just sort of more and more uh, layers, more and more people following me. And then I just wanted to kind of go off those tracks and I couldn't. Who did I have this conversation with? It must have been a client. Know. But anyway, that sounds a good conversation. Were. I hope you recorded it. Fine. <laughs> um, and I apologize to whoever it was who's going, it was me, it was me. How did you forget this really meaningful <laughs> you interaction? Must have a lot I of conversation. So yeah. I haven't reacted. Can I can I blame the perimenopause for my uh, <laughs> but maybe it's good as a coach to not always remember who you had the conversation with. And <laughs> we don't, but yeah. we remember the gems. Um but yeah, I just want to um, make make one comment um, on that. What you said about like the transition out of sports, and this is very you know in in my mind right now because I've just was sharing with you. I've just finished um, a one year coaching program, and like have that proper ending of something, and having the awareness of this in this case, you know, for the for these participants, this um, container of these monthly yeah. coaching sessions of all these different things are not going to be there anymore. So what are you going to do? Um, and it sounds like you were in the situation where, yeah, those conversations weren't being had to say, cause you're not going to have this built-in community, these built-in structures, this you were sharing um, with me before about, you know, the, the built-in four year cycle. Yeah. Once yeah. you're on the train tracks, once you're in it, it's just, just turn up every day. And it's so, you know, all those things that I pursued, they were so rewarding, you know, they're such big milestones and, and, and only, you know, the academic stuff is quite a personal milestone, but they're also, they are also recognized. I mean, by the time you get a PhD, you know, it's a, it's a recognizable milestone. And then to go after an, you know, to go to the Olympics and they, they're very externally recognized as well. Mm. So you get, you know, so it's, it's hugely internally motivating, but then external, I think quite externally motivating as well yeah. to get those, to get those things and then mm. to have all that taken away. And, um, well, not, no, to choose not to do that anymore. Yeah. Mm. And I tried to go back. So when I was really, really struggling and other rowers have gone back, I thought, well, I'll go back to rowing. And I remember getting, trying to get my boat fixed up and trying to getting back on an ergo. And I used to do these 90 minute ergo sessions, my whole rowing life, pretty much. 
I just got on and did, done three times 30 minutes, put the radio on, loved it. Well, sort of loved it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was <laughs> these 90 minute sessions. Yeah. And I did them by myself at Cambridge, you know, when I was just, when I was doing my PhD and when I was, mm. yeah, doing, doing quite a lot of rowing. I, I got on the rowing machine for the first time and I think, you know, 10, 12 minutes and I utterly had enough. And um, I just didn't have the motivation to do that. I didn't have the motivation to get my boat even fixed up enough to go rowing. When I used to, I used, to, you know, I used to at a weekend go put my boat on the top of my car, drive two hours, take my boat off, you know, training session, yeah. sleep on someone's floor. You know, that was, you know, it was just I used to be so self motivated, mm. and I just that all that had gone. I couldn't be bothered to do one training proper training session I was I was I was running a lot I was still fit you know I was running and cycling but to you know to to try get and get back, back. The, the, of, the feeling of trying to get back to where I had been was just too and also I had no money you know so now you know I wasn't I hadn't got a grant or anything anymore so it was all going to be like right back at the start and I just I can't do that anymore I can't do that again and um, so I was yeah I mean, I think we try and go back, don't we? When, when we don't know how to go forward, we try and go back. It's very common again. Mm. Um, so actually I did something quite interesting, which I've talked to, to a few people before when they, so I, I, I work as a coach as well. And I think this whole, there's always, there's always some benefit from the tough times that we don't realize at the time. And the benefit for me was really understanding how difficult this transition is. And so I do quite a lot of coaching for people approaching transitions, retirement, job mm. changes, you know, and, who's struggling um yeah. job job changes or want not being fulfilled in their current jobs and I and I actually sat down and and wrote a I think I wrote a list I think I wrote it down or it was certainly in my head it's like right I don't want to go back but I need something new and what is it what is it that I loved about rowing my rowing life that I want to keep and what is it that I that I didn't really like that I can form a better life if I if I don't have that you know there's, there's something better than rowing because it didn't it, it wasn't perfect and so you know on the on the on the what do I definitely want to do I definitely want to be outside a lot really fit and healthy I loved all of that um you know having a lot a good lot of time to exercise train just be really fit and be outside a lot that was amazing amazing to have that for my job basically <laughs> Um, but what I don't, what don't, what didn't I like about it? Well, the fact they always had to be going up and up and down the same stretch of water most of the time. Yeah, mm. that's quite. And the limitations of of having to be here at a certain time, the very the huge, you know, the massive structure. Mm. It's like I can do without that. So okay, I want to, you know, still be outside exercising, but free range. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I started running and it's and and I and I'd always done hiking so all right and I just and I think I I had a bit of a vision not of I didn't have of, of of what not what I would do but what it would feel like and I, I literally had to draw I think I drew a picture of one of those little pointy mountains you know like yeah. a proper pointy mountain I'm not an artist like you or maybe I haven't practiced enough so a little pointy mountain and there was me a stick stick me on the top of a mountain with my arms above my head and my big backpack like Wah! top of the mountain and you know I can imagine this great vistas and oh I should I sent you a few pictures I've got a picture literally of me like that I'll probably send you one of those because um I did eventually get there um and do that I mean I'm not not just once like a lot in my life mm. so but the, I think the real thing was that this all happened sort of all mixed up all these things kind of there wasn't a, stru a structure there wasn't like I did this and I did this and I did this I do remember a bit of a transition I was I was important bit I was working a lot and I had money for the first time ever because I've been a student forever and then right, a rower yeah. forever on a tiny grant and I hadn't any money and then I was working you know in leadership development when I came out teaching I was like yeah working and which pays quite well and I was working really hard. So I was earning, you know, it's like I actually had money. I wasn't earning huge amounts, but I had money. Yeah. And um, I was working in Germany with a client, a banking client, nice hotel they put me up in. And I was feeling, yeah, just, it was at the bottom, I was feeling really terrible. And the previous year I'd run the London Marathon. I'd run the London Marathon twice. I ran two marathons. 
we're going to talk a bit about marathons, aren't we? So I ran, <laughs> I ran the London Marathon while I was doing my PhD before I did all the serious rowing stuff, all the like international rowing stuff. And my goal had been to do to do to do it under four hours. And I did it, I think, in four hours and a minute and a half. Yeah. Because I forgot about that. It's not it's not just twenty six miles, is it? It's twenty six point two miles. <laughs> <laughs> it still blows me away like how amazing marathons are or if you set a goal and you train for that goal how incredibly like because I trained to do sub four hours I set off miles. and I went after four hours and I would have done it if I hadn't forgotten about the literally the 200 yards at the end <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a minute and a half after and uh, so I did that and then so and check then the I, small print did... of your goal is the, yeah, read the small <laughs> print. <laughs> that's quite good isn't it but that was how close it was on it and mm. then I did another one so then when I came out of out of rowing and I was doing doing quite a lot of running I did the London Marathon again and didn't really know I knew I was you know and at that time I think I yeah three three thirty nine so I was like whoa I'm you know 10, 10 years older and I've just got like over 20 minutes faster and I hadn't trained as purposely for that as I had for the previous one so I was like wow so I just remember thinking what well, I think I've got a sub 330 marathon in me and, and that's that's a good time you know again something mm. you can like if you say tell people that you've run a marathon in sub 330 again that's you know it's, it's all right for yeah. a rower like I'm not a runner I'm nearly six foot tall I'm 70 kilos you know it's not bad so um amazing so so I thought I think I've got that in me and while I was while I was in Germany I think I I thought right I made the decision and I entered the Paris Marathon in this hotel I got on and I entered the Paris Marathon and then I got up the next day to go running and I ran around the same park I'd run around the day before but before I was just running around the park just getting some exercise in and I remember now it's like I was training for a marathon I was training for a sub 330 marathon and it felt totally different and I really shocked it really shocked me like whoa so I yeah so I so I trained for that and I did I did and again trained for three sub 330 329 329 329 11 I think so you are you know and exactly hitting the goal that you envisage right yeah you can really make that what a superpower to have so you kind of got to be really careful about what you exactly yeah yeah also how i just made me think also how we limit ourselves as well Mm. yeah should have gone for 315 well yeah so then we we can limit ourselves because it started started me thinking like what if i decided i want to get an olympic medal earlier in my career or if i'd really really gone after a gold you know we went after gold in the last few months but what if i'd gone after you know what if I'd had a four-year goal to get a gold medal rather than a, just a, getting a medal? A medal. Been, what if I'd been braver yeah. in my goals, you know? So, yeah. So part of it was like, what if I'd been braver in my goals and realising we really, really limit ourselves by how brave we are in our goals? But then also this thing of, yeah, do I want to do a 3.15? I probably could, but I didn't want to mm. because I, you, you have to balance that with the training. And I trained so hard and it had hurt so much to do this. It's like... <laughs> No, because I don't really, I don't really need to, you know, right. again, I don't really need to, like I felt, com- I felt compelled to do the other ones and I really enjoyed doing, but I have never felt the need to go to do faster. Mm. So there's something about just, oh, that's enough for me. Yeah. But anyway, what it made me really realise was that I needed to keep setting goals. I felt so much better and that I had stopped waiting for this goal to take me over and I just had to make them up. So this is what I say now. It's like, if you don't have big goals, just make them up. And they have to be compelling enough. Um, but, you know, perhaps we don't have to kind of wait for the massive goals. And, and also, I think we know that once you start pursuing perhaps those smaller goals, then we feel more motivated and we feel more, um, more confident to pursue you know when when those other goals find us or that will feel will feel able to do those bigger goals as well yeah. so it's just about putting things into my life so writing that book 
I'd, I'd been writing bits. I was writing it in a recipe book. That's why it says gold medal flapjack. So I was actually writing, again, I didn't you know, dare think that I could write an autobiography. So I started writing it as a recipe book with some stories of my life. And, um, and then I ended up writing a lot, like a lot more than even there. And so I made some, I asked some of my friends to read bits and they loved all the life bits. And they the said, we like the recipes, like so, so. but not as interesting <laughs> as, as life bits. <laughs> so I took out all the recipes while one. So, yeah, so again, it's like, I'm going to finish this book. don't really know what I'm doing it for, because I don't think I'll get it published. I didn't get it published. I had to self-publish it. It's not yeah. like, I don't think anyone's ever got a silver medal autobiography published. You know, so it's, <laughs> it's not like people only want to read the gold medal stories. Right. Although the silver medal stories are much more interesting yeah. sometimes. <laughs> I think so. I think it's fascinating. And yeah, I just want to add to like land a little bit of what you've you've said in like some of the, the Ikigai theory um, from various yeah. different people that have come up. So one of them is this idea of Ikigai can exist in this like looking forward to the future in this goal setting as yeah. you've, you've uh, shared um, and very much, you know, having that sense of control or like I'm on the way to become a better version of myself and this idea of um, the agency of the self in the middle, like making that decision and how you were able to experience like that night and day difference in how you experienced your run. It's just a really beautiful and simple illustration of what when you put that bit of intentionality around it and it's not, you know, doesn't have to be saving the world or anything like that. It's I just want to do this for myself and prove to myself. Well, that, that I, I think is really important that we reckon. I feel like it's that we recognize it's enough to do things just for ourselves. So a lot of people won't run a marathon unless they run it for charity or they say they say they're doing the big, big goals. You know, they're, they're doing these things for charity mm. and it's nice to raise some money for charity. But really, I. I think people are doing them for themselves and that's all right to say yeah. that they want to run a marathon or they want to do, you know, they want to climb a mountain or they want to cycle here. We cycle lands into John and Groats, you know, from the top of the bottom of the UK. I think it's all right to say that you, like I cycled with my sister from lands into John and Groats, which is the bottom of the lowest point of the UK to the top of Scotland. And every single person I, I said, we were going to do it said, Oh, are you doing it? Are you doing it for charity? Yeah. Can I respond to you? You? And it's like, no, we're just doing it. Like, we're just, just doing it. Jets and giggles, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, why are you doing it? Because it's a really good thing to do. Like, I'm going to go spend there. three weeks cycling with my sister or and go, you know, see the whole of the country, stay with friends. It's a really, really cool thing to do. Like, it was, yeah. we had, we still talk about it. It's like the most amazing things we've ever done. It was just right. phenomenal. And if you um, put on that, like, good works, it would have taken on a different dynamic. So sometimes it takes, it, yeah. it does. And also it takes on, it puts on a different pressure. And I'm not mm. saying, and it's really great, you know, because I think some people do, you know, they've, they've had a big, someone close to them's died and they want, or they, they, and they want to raise some money for that charity. And that definitely is their purpose. Um, but also then doing the goal as well gives them a sense of purpose, which helps them, I think out of that so it's all you know yeah. I think it's all right just to do things for yourself mm. so I, don't, I run a marathon a year now so I think I'm on about 26 27 um and it is for that sense of like I, I train every day anyway well, I don't call it training I just exercise every day yeah. and I love going running but the, but the moment I enter a marathon it feels different again like I, I go I go further and I go a bit faster and I enjoy it more yeah so I just enter yeah so just having putting those things in and I like what you said. Uh, so I think that's important about that was the difference as well, was feeling like I had more of a choice about it and choosing the things, being, mm. you know, rather than feeling compelled. So that was the transition. Why it felt, you know, because becoming more less driven and more intentional but yeah let, so Let's we talked about pushing, like, when we were chatting we talked about push and pull motivation yeah different things that motivate us mm. and I talk about away from and towards push and pull motivation and quite often people talk about oh I did this to prove someone wrong or 
Yeah. And that's a negative, it's a negative driver. Or you're on the path, you're on the train tracks. You know, I, yes. I work with a lot, quite a lot of lawyers or people who've been on a professional train track. Yeah. And they get where they think they've always wanted to be and then they don't realise, they realise they don't really want to be there. Yep. Like, because they never really thought about it, what it would be like. They were just, they were on, they were on the tracks and they were actually quite pushed, even if it was just pushing themselves mm. um, rather than being pulled to, pulled towards something you really, really want. That sounds like a lot, of, a lot of my clients actually in that like, yeah, hang on, I'm I've, feeling done, internally I've done motivated. these things. Yeah, I've, I've done no, but, these when, but when you get up, but when you, this is this unsettling period when you get off and then you have to start deciding for yourself, like, what do I really want to do? Not what I am on the tracks to do, not what I being pushed to do. Yeah. And even if you're not being pushed by anybody else, not what I'm feeling compelled to do. Like, you know, I, now I have to decide every, like get up and, you know, decide every day what I want to do. Yeah. And it's hard work and it was really hard work. And then we talked about having kids and that's why, you know, having kids takes that, takes some of that away. It fills you perhaps with a sense of purpose. And you said, oh, not necessarily, it just like, it just makes you busy. But being busy is something, isn't it? Yeah. Like people need to be. I, and I wrote about that in my book as well, how mm-hmm. like just realizing the difference of, you know, not in a day, not having to get up for anybody else and do anything, you know, then you have to, it's, it's, it's hard work. Really. I understand it's really, really hard work looking after kids, mm. but it's really hard work not doing that. Yeah. Like <laughs> in some respect. Yourself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which sounds like people with kids wouldn't understand, but and now it isn't, but it, now it isn't, but I had to find a way like, okay, what, what do I want to do in my life? And yeah. How am I going to fill my life me. with meaning and purpose? And yeah. and yeah. I was going to say, it reminds me of like the transition that I made when I moved from corporate to running my own business. Yeah. You know, yeah. I had my weekly catch ups with my boss, and here are the KPIs. And sure, I co created them and we worked together. But someone else was steering the ship, right? I was going into their goals. And that really worked for me to have that, that external accountability. And then those first, and every now and then I'm like, well, I can do anything. You know, I love my freedom. But sometimes I just want someone to tell me what to do. Yeah. And actually, that's what I love do about, yeah. about marathon training is yeah. I've got a plan that someone else has written. I know it works. So just do what Hal Higdon tells me to do on the days he tells me to do it. And I just need to show up. But if you said, yeah. how far are you going to run today in order to reach? Oh, well, it's never going to happen. So there, there can be something in those. As you know, we talk about freedom. There's something sometimes freeing in the structures of other people because it gives yeah. us that. Yeah, because it's because it stops you having to agonize. Every, you know, that's what, every, that's what I realized I was struggling with so much was like having to decide for myself every single thing that I did yeah. because nothing really like, you know, didn't matter what I did. Mm. um but it was then I think it was just putting these small things back getting a bit more motivation in my life um and also recognizing so some of the stuff I do talk about in the book which is all stuff my people wanted me to keep in that I'd never ever thought I would publish which is the stuff of the family stuff so my father was an alcoholic both my parents actually were alcoholics I think um it's just more obvious with my dad doctor so quite common um and quite and very hidden obviously very very hidden mm. um and and also you know not he's a lovely guy not not a violent drunk by any means yeah. but again there's no reason therefore no reason to stop no reason to recognize it no reason when you're a child when you're a kid to even understand that and things different but i as part, yeah, when, when I think I was first struggling, I did realise I needed some help and I, c- I just couldn't talk talk to anybody. And, and people don't really know what to do. Your friends aren't trained to, yeah. to listen to you. Mm. So when I started realising I had to talk to people and started trying to talk to your friends and they, they don't know how to do it. So it's not their fault. Um, I, I didn't know how to do it. The only person who knew how to listen to me really was my sister because she'd been depressed as well. Right. <laughs> and she'd had a lot of counselling and... Um, and now and I think I know how to do it, but other people don't really know how to do it. So it's like, well, you know, there are people, I pay, pay someone for that. Yeah. So I did pay for some counselling. I've had a couple, two courses of counselling in my life. Um, and it's, I think it's really important to do that. Um, 
for everybody because we've all got stuff like yeah. that we just need to work out really before we like move on um and I can't remember what it came from the counseling session or actually I think it came from when I was writing the book and I was I started to write more about my dad and what happened with him and I start and I started to look up like I literally was googling alcoholism <laughs> and then basically popped up like children of alcoholics and I was like children of alcoholics is that a thing so I read about it and was like yeah that's me <laughs> and it was just really I hadn't really realized you know just and and so I wrote I wrote about it in the you know I, I didn't think I was writing something that we published I just was finding it interesting and I couldn't go past go, go further until I'd written about it but one there was all sorts of characteristics which which align with my with me what I just thought were always me and I'd always thought they were problems with me difficult characteristics but one thing was perhaps the advantage was children of alcoholics often pursue goals beyond the point when other people would and and beyond the point when there is any point so this kind of you know so it's like oh my god that's totally that's what I've done my whole life is pursue these crazy goals beyond when you know beyond when I knew I, I you know, kept going on a PhD beyond when the point when I realized when I thought I was going to be a scientist or that I enjoyed it just kept going because I had to but it's I think it's to do with a sense of control because when you can't right. control I was going to ask what's like the yeah so when you can't control that we talked about it, when you can't control the external and when you don't know what's happening around you it's like well I can you know I can control this in my life yeah um right. so it's where you know it's where a lot of like eating disorders come from and, exactly. and I nearly went that way mm. but that didn't but I think rowing saved me because at just the point when I got really serious about rowing I was probably getting quite serious about not eating as well uh, but those two those two things didn't go hand in hand so I really think rowing it's like okay this what this 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 goal is more important to me than that mm. so I went after that but that's where a lot of that comes from as well Gosh, I think oh, in interesting and in think yeah that thinking about the the desire to control that that leads there and and just yeah how how differently that that could have taken had had rowing not been there for you right yeah had something so positive yeah. in the end it was really positive things of getting you know study getting an getting a PhD getting a degree getting a PhD getting to the Olympics getting an Olympic medal they were all such positive things that I ended up doing with my life mm. but they did they they took a I did them in quite a negative way. Like looking back now, wow, I had an amazing life and they gave me a load of amazing experiences, but I didn't do it in the most positive way. Like, you know, I, I really, really went after them and I was exhausted and it was really hard. You know, I, was, I wasn't always happy. Yeah. And so coming out and, and having these, you know, the counseling and recognizing it's like, I want to, okay, and I know I need goals and I know I need big goals, but I, I don't want to be that driven, unhappy, yeah exhausted person the whole time so how can I come out of it and you know I don't want to be that my whole life and some people are that their whole life I think they never really it's like how can I be this how can I be this more balanced person and Mm. get all the best best out of it I love that That, so that's really yeah that's been the 20 the nearly 20 year journey since because now Mm. yeah since I stopped rowing at 33 now coming up to 52 there's Um, um there's a concept of uh, antisocial ikigai so I think that this idea of you know there's so there's social ikigai right which is uh, it's for the good of the world for the good of community things like that there's a sort of internal focused ikigai where maybe it's from uh, maybe it's around health or your faith or like something a hot like something which kind of lights you up I mean it doesn't impact anyone in any way whether yeah. you do it or not and then there's another one which doesn't get talked a lot much about when people talk about ikigai, you know, on Instagram, what have you, um, this antisocial ikigai, which is like driven by hate, driven by jealousy. You talked about like, um, I'm going to prove someone wrong. That's a kind of antisocial driver for the ikigai, or as you said, like this need to control, to control the situation was the driver. And this was the, um, the thing. So actually I just want to kind of normalize that, you can have an ikigai which isn't all sunshine and roses and sweetness and light and that driving energy can actually be sort of negative but turn out into something positive 
But yeah, what I but love I think about we need to be you, really yeah. careful about those. Yeah, exactly. So you've now realized that that's not a sustainable life strategy and gone. Actually, that's not healthy to be driven by this antisocial ikigai. It's not how how I want to show up so I can still have dreams, but I don't want that control yeah. energy. Kind. And I don't know, you know, if you told me like, you know, now it's like, but you can't, you don't, you don't have to look back and kind of go, you know, what if I, what if I got happier before, you know, when I got an Olympic medal, <laughs> you know, so, but you don't have, you know, that actually it doesn't, you don't have to look back and kind of go, it's not either or and, and, and like looking forward. Yeah. Just finding it more in balance and yeah, getting more of that internal, just, mm. you know, just looking, looking internally and definitely, again, something I wrote in my book that was realizing that we put society, societally, we put different values on purpose. And um, we kind of some some are seen as seen as more valuable and more real than others. Mm. So definitely having, you know, having having children is seen as a worthwhile pursuit. And if you're a woman without children, if you have cats and do charity work, it's seen as something a bit pitiable, pitiable, pitiable really. But they they're just you know actually we're all just making making things up we're all just creating purpose in our life and whether you create children or create a god or create you know it doesn't really matter like it's all a way of putting busyness and purpose into our lives and and i think i don't think i think we we don't have to either be judgmental or worry ourselves if we feel our what 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 gives us a sense of purpose and and fulfillment doesn't seem as important um as anybody else's because yeah which i think we're all just making it up (laughs) just like give give yourself permission to have your experience of what gives you purpose and if that doesn't you know excite someone else your neighbor your friend your whoever who cares that's their life go and find they, they go and find what makes them have meaning and have purpose and what lights them up and that's my business whether it's yeah you know wh- whatever it is however it shows up um yeah however it's, it's and how my it, lived you know, experience it's your yeah. lived experience and I think uh, I remember on the, the 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 pre-call you said um yeah you know all that happened with my goal was it was something that got me in the newspapers so that's that's something I, I really and I just I think I just had run a session before I spoke to you the day before I do a lot around goals and I do mm. how to get people into thinking about goals. And I get them, I tell a very short version of, of how I got my Olympic medal and they all go, wow. And I said, now I want you to tell, and I, I prep them to, you know, to tell, to tell your goal. So, and they all go, oh, I'm not worthy, you know? And it's like the story, you know, story of me achieving my goal. And I say, like, well, it's not this, what I realized it's not like that because I just pursued my goal and it happened to be something that got me on the TV and into the newspapers. Um, but that's just by chance really mm. and and it doesn't make it any more worthy than people who pursue other goals that, that give them as much satisfaction and as that that didn't happen to make them famous I mean I was only famous for like five minutes but you know it's just it, <laughs> it, the it, cycle. it, it doesn't make yeah. it any more worthy or any it just happened to be be something you know people get very very good at things extraordinarily good at things that never make them famous or get them any publicity at all and it doesn't mean it's and it so I, I talk about your I talk about your Olympic medal moment and I say everybody has an Olympic medal moment in their life or they should have if you haven't you need to go after one um because we certainly have the capability of it um, everyone have, has these Olympic medal moments in their lives which are the things the goals they've gone after and they've gone after them they've gone after them and they've made them happen and then when you do it you know everyone has that Olympic medal moment when they're kind of that podium moment when you feel like, oh my God, I've actually done this. Um, and, and it feels the same because I've had, I've had it before and since. Like mm. I've not had, you know, I've had, I've only won one, one Olympic medal, but I've had that moment or that, that, that experience several times in my life yeah. from pursuing goals. And some of them I think have felt more joyful because actually they were less external. I was less worried about not doing, not getting them. Right. So actually, there's another photo I should maybe I send when I got did my second Ironman. I did I've done two Ironmans, Ironman triathlon, and my second one. Um, coming into the marathon, coming into the end of the marathon, and I was like, yes, 
I thought I was trying to do sub 12 hours and I did like sub 11 and a half hours and I felt great coming in the end of the marathon and I've got this photo of me just running down the home streets absolutely beaming and I just I was just flooded with I remember running the last two miles of it realizing that I was not just going to finish but going to smash my goal and I was did you know all the training I was you know just the dedicated training for like two a massive years. grin like yeah and it was just I felt this and I and what I love about this photo is I was totally lit up like running and then there's this people watching and there's this woman this older woman watching me and she's lit up makes me feel quite emotional now like I'll send you this photo but she yeah. is like beaming watching me like because it it inspires it doesn't it that's why I think we should really pursue goals and we should talk about them and we should ask people to tell stories about them and we shouldn't hide them because they're inspiring and they they inspire other people to, to go and do to go and feel like they they can go and do their own thing so yeah so that's you know I, I remember that moment and it just felt it didn't I don't think it felt any less than winning an Olympic medal and nobody <laughs> apart from that know. woman <laughs> I came like how many thousand thousands down the rank <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like that um there's a there's a skit I think it's foil arms and hog and they talk about oh so you ran a marathon great like did you win no well, what but you got a medal but you didn't win no like I can't yeah you know I was 757th in my age group category yeah, and yeah. 3000 in the field but that that moment that you described that absolutely just being there proud of yourself in that moment I think is um yeah with with not not that pressure of expectations and only yourself that's what I love it and how that described you know you know you're never going to win so you don't have to worry about that and you know you're not going to come last so you don't have to worry about that (laughs) so as long as you come somewhere in the middle of that table obscurity has a lot to be a lot to be said for it absolutely amazing I I realize that we could probably talk for another three hours um and I would love to but I want to ask you a couple of final questions which are what's the question I should have asked you you've asked very good questions and and you said you were going to ask that I don't think there's lots of stuff like once we stop I'll I'll go on talk about that (laughs) I think I think maybe that little bit that I was saying about how to what I've really learned is how to ask people to talk about the things they've achieved as well. Mm. And, and, um, and how lovely that is to share, to give someone the chance to share and how quickly you get to know someone. So I ask people, if I'm doing it in a work setting, I ask them, well, if I've shared, if they know I've got an Olympic medal, I'll say, what's, well, what's your, what's your Olympic medal moment? And they'll, and they'll tell me that story. Um, sometimes I just say to people, uh, like what do you what do you love doing and what's the best thing you've ever done in that mm. that's just you know and they'll tell me and it, and it doesn't and that means it's not it's not a winning thing it's just you know it can be a winning thing but it's just a what's made you know what's the best what's your best experience and they tell me that so yes allowing people to talk about and and I find it's just I'm not really you know everybody says oh I hate small talk as if and I've never heard anyone who says you know I really love doing small talk but lots of people are quite snotty about like I hate doing small talk as if yeah. other people really love it the people who get on with people really love doing small talk <laughs> but actually <laughs> people who are like, genuinely interested in like the other human being in front of them yeah yeah, yeah but actually yeah. what I found is because I'm not yeah actually if you ask really good questions then people talk to you about really interesting things so giving yeah. giving the giving other people the chance to talk to you about the things that are really interesting about them mm. um is it makes really interesting conversations so allowing people to talk about the things that light them up, the things that give them purpose, the things they've achieved. So icky guy is it? So giving the chance, giving people the chance to talk about their icky guy, like you do, it's, it's brilliant to get come on here and just talk about the things I love doing. You know, which is a wonderful thing that you do. But we, I think we can all do that for other people. You mm. know, just allow people to do that, and it makes a great conversation. Yeah. And we'll <laughs> probably, yeah, we'll probably be, um, you know, this episode, God, I, can't, I can't speak now, this episode will probably come out in the new year in 2023. So everyone around you will have been doing their planning, maybe set some resolutions. So maybe instead of talking about resolutions, you can talk about what do you want to like, light you up this year, right? What are the things would what silver medal moments? And when like people, and that's the other thing is when people do tell you when they're 
if they've got this big scary goal and they dare to share it with you like your response is so important like I didn't dare tell anyone I want to get an Olympic medal for a very long time because I thought if one person sneered or laughed at me it would disappear and it would have done I think and and we often do that like we're dismissive or we try we think we're doing somebody I often talk you know in, in work setting people often say oh but they want you know they want to do this and they'll never do that and they feel like we feel like they do we're doing them a kindness to moderate their ambitions so when, when I was story recently that I was getting people to tell their Olympic medal moments and a guy told, said you know he, he wanted to do his first Ironman triathlon actually and a woman had wanted to in recovery from breast cancer she wanted to cycle 200 miles with her friend and both of them their first experience of going in to like a kit shop someone went what like have you done a half iron man have you done an olympic iron man have you you know it just and this woman just well, what's your existing bike oh you don't have a bike and you want to cycle 200 miles really like perhaps you ought to do something a bit more perhaps your perhaps your goal should be a little bit more moderate and we do that to try and save people for disappointment i think but like if it lights you up it lights you up and and the big sometimes the really big goals are what they're what really grab us and so if if someone shares that with you, just ask them to tell you about it rather than you telling them why they won't be able to do it. I think that's what I've learned. I, I think when uh, when you shared this, the, we talked about this the other day, and, and you said something like, "Like the worst, the worst answer is going really." Yeah. So the, the worst <laughs> answer is, "I want to do this thing really, or really, or what any any yeah. version of really." And then I think, or then because, but then I think I also like the worst thing that's going to happen. So if they go and do it, if they go off and pursue it, and they don't, they don't do it. The worst thing, the worst that's going to happen is they're not going to do it but it's like I think it's worse than that if we can easily be the reason that someone doesn't that first answer can be the reason that someone doesn't achieve their goal and you'll never know you'll just go well I knew I knew they couldn't do it it's like perhaps if you've just been like we won't know so what if, if really is the worst answer what's the best thing that you could say to someone who comes to you with their big hairy audacious goal oh I think I would I think just to say oh right Tell me about that. Why, why, why do you want to do that? I actually like you like, oh right. Yeah. Like, tell, just tell me about it. Just just get, get someone to talk about it. Yeah. Um, because talking about it makes it more real and at least you get excited about it. And and then also uh, that bit about planning. So, you know, we know it like the I, for me, the, the the achievement of the goal, like it is in it is to do with how much work you put in, I think. Mm. And the, the, the marathon plan that's why the marathon plan works you follow it and you you do it yeah. um but if i you know again i talk to people who just they're quite proud they go oh i did a marathon i did no training it's like well what's the point you just paid 70 quid to go for a run they're really proud it's like i did a marathon on no training it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> the training um, is the, the training is the is the marathon right yeah you just paid you just paid for you've paid 70 quid to be able to tell someone you've done a marathon really so it's yeah. like and, and you won't have done you know and they're like oh i did it in four four and a half hours or i did it in four hours it's like well congratulations if you've done training you've been able to do it an hour faster so <laughs> i don't know what's the so i think yeah just just you know it's like um now and i'm now i'm being snotty aren't you about, about people's goals <laughs> but <laughs> that's all right you we can yeah we could do that <laughs> but I think but that's like it is about having a it is about ha you know having a goal and then and then the the joy is the going after it a lot of the time is is joy is the is the purposefulness of the of the training and that whatever I mean, it's not always core training is it but you know yeah. whatever it is you're doing to go after it's, it yeah and um, that's usually the cliche of, the cliche of the journey of the going on the journey isn't it yeah. <laughs> so. and and so my final question uh is so what's next for you? What does your next part of your journey look like? Um, it's changed a bit, I think, since the pandemic. So when I was writing mm. that book and, and I was traveling a lot and doing my hiking and tango, you dance a lot of tango. So I was going to Argentina a lot. So I did meet the guy six years ago. So so we've been together six years and that's, that's really nice. Um, but it's still quite it's still quite free so 
we don't live together all the time. We didn't, we did in, in lockdown, but not, in, you know, not anymore. So we had still have that kind of freedom, but I, I think I still, the hiking and the traveling that still, but it's, I've become a little bit more, not, I, I, I love where I live. I've moved, to, uh, made a lot of purposeful decisions, maybe about 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. So mm. I quit my, quit my full-time job, went, went freelance like he did. And again, again, and moved moved to live. I want to live by the sea, so I moved to live by the sea. So I live, you know, with a, with a view of the sea here and on the, near some cliffs to go for running. So I love where and I'm gardening, and so I, I feel quite content here. Keep those goals. Keep those goals. So I'm writing another book on um, healthy lifestyle, which is actually called the Ten Healthy Habits: Things That Are Scientifically Proven to Make Us Live a Longer, Healthier Life. One of them, number seven on my list, is to live with a sense of purpose keep keep setting goals and learning new things another one actually is not to get addicted to anything mm. including our goals <laughs> including you know <laughs> so um so I'm, so again I've got that anytime I feel a bit like oh a bit, dis- bit disconcerted in life like I'm any anytime I do feel a bit unsettled sometimes I just think oh I just need to sit down and write some more of my book it, amazing how that works so I, I have a I always have a what's called I always have an activity goal and then I have a sit down goal so I always have two two goals at least two goals in life I'm usually training for a marathon so I, I'm I've, I've done a couple of ultra marathons and so I've just started to, they take a while because it's have to be so brave because I just don't know if I'm going to do them. My 50th mm. birthday year, I ran 100k from London to Brighton. It took me 10 years to convince myself I could do that. Mm. Um, two years to train for it. And I did it and thought, that's it. I never want to go any further. And it's taken me a year to think, to start to think, well, I wonder what 100 miles would feel like. <laughs> and as soon as I say it, it's like, so not next year because again it takes a long time both to get my head around it find time in my life because you have to create a lot of time in your life so I think I would like I think I want to do a 100 mile run it should take me about 24 hours the 100k took me 13 and a half hours so I've got that as my activity goal and then finishing this book as my sit down goal I love it. I love that activity goal and a sit down goal. Well, if anyone's listening when we uh, when we release this and you you haven't put together um, New Year's resolutions, and please remember, you do not have to write New Year's resolutions if they don't shake your float your boat. But we've boat how apt. Uh, we talked a lot about like the the power of a goal to to compel and to like change the texture of how you approach an activity. So maybe. Just check and see, do I have an activity goal and a sit-down goal? Um, that's a great way to, to think about those. Yeah, I, I think New Year's yeah. resolutions, I, I think rather than, I think the worst ones are like, I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to Why would you want to be less of yourself? Whereas, whereas the best ones, the best ones are like, right, you know, I'm going to run a marathon and therefore you will lose weight and you will eat more healthily on the way. So I think having those big goals rather than those those kind of, because negative goals, not not to lose something, but to gain something. Yes. They're better goals. Yes, exactly. It's my least favourite goal I'm going to lose weight I just it feels like it's yeah it, it, it never it, it hardly ever comes from a good place or a place of self-love or and why would you want to be less I mean it can be important yes, yes. oh definitely it's an important but there are better there, there, just, there are just there are just more motivating and yes. enriching ways to go about it than exactly. having that as your goal yeah yeah my, you know my goal is to be healthier my goal is to be able to chase after a ball with my dog right something which will have the side effect goal yeah that's that's just my personal trigger anyway so uh there you go anyway as expected we've talked and talked and talked it's been fabulous uh so honored to have you on and um can't wait to see when you come and run tokyo it's a lovely course lots of cheering yeah 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 so please, please put that, put that into uh, your, your third, diary. Third, and hopefully third by trip then. to Japan. Yeah. It was very cool coming to Japan twice, but uh, yeah, and maybe another time. Yeah, it'd be good. 
do like do like a few international marathons go around go to some different places yeah exactly well thank you so much Alison there's so many amazing nuggets I can't wait to listen to this again was, and see the transcript well thank you for giving me the chance just to talk about myself and my goals because it's just as you said as, as I as I realized I, I let other people do it a lot in my work like I you know I get people to do it but it's been really nice for you to do let me let, to give me the chance to do it so thank you very much wonderful and if people want to get in touch with you is there a best way that they can find you or follow you um yeah so actually i i'm very bad at self-publicity because i don't really do it much anymore i think i don't even sure i had a website not even sure it's there um (laughs) actually i have a facebook uh i'm very old style facebook but alison mowbray feeling inspired which is the name of my sort of loosely name my company and um it's just a, 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 something I set up actually after the London 2012 Olympics to kind of keep that inspiration going. Um, and I don't, and so, so you can get in touch with me through that. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure there'll be many people who are feeling inspired after our talk today. So thank you so much for being with us, for sharing all of your stories and experiences and your uh, remarkable life. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jennifer. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own Ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly what resonated with you. So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below. And let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today. And sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.